shake hands or even fist bump this morning we're just going to wave and so <laughs> i had this song on my heart the other day uh, 4029 it's called um i can the holy hills of heaven callings sing it with me here the holy hills of heaven call me 
in this so sinful world Hardly a comfort can afford And striving alone to face temptation sore Where could I go but to the Lord? Well, where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul and needing a friend to help me in the end. Tell me where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbors are kind, I love them everyone. We get along in sweet accord. Oh, but when my soul needs manna from above, where could I go but go there. Oh, where could I go? Oh, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul and needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Life here is grand with friends I love so I get from God's own word. Yet when I face the chilling hands of death, where could I go but to the Lord? Well, where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. When I'm needing a friend to help I go but to the Lord. Tell me where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. When I'm needing a friend to help me in the end. Brother, where could I go but to the Lord? When I'm needing a friend to help me Tell me where could I go but to the Lord. Amen. Where can we go? There's nowhere else. When the 70 left and Christ said, Are you going to leave me as well? His disciple answered, Where could I go? <laughs> You're the one who has eternal life. Where else would we want to go? Um, got a few announcements here and some prayer requests. And uh, Brother David. Maybe you could come up and uh, David Cockman. <laughs> I looked this way and said, Brother David, and they both go, which, which one? <laughs> come up and say a prayer this morning. So we'd like to remember Sister Connie Hughes um, this morning. And uh, so much, uh, there's, I know there's a lot out. There's so much going on. Uh, Brother and Sister Smith, please keep them in your prayers. As I know that we all have been holding them up uh, to the Lord when we, when we go to him. In the past few weeks, it's been a very tough time. Uh, Brother Jaron and family aren't here. They've got frozen pipes this morning. Uh, we just heard Brother Keith. It's got COVID and Amber and Brian are quarantined. So keep their family in prayer as well. Brother David, if you would come up and just bring these. And, and I know if I say this, we'll all lift our hands. But uh, please raise your hand and bring that to the Lord if you have an unspoken prayer request you'd like to uh, 
enter into the throne of the day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy and your grace, Lord God, and Lord Jesus, for Lord, just for the spirit we feel this morning, Lord God, and your precious brothers and sisters just gathered here, Lord God, just to lift up your name and to hear from you, Lord Jesus. And we, Lord, we just lift all these requests, Lord God, to you right now, Lord God. Know that you're more than able, Lord God, to supply our every needs, Lord God, and to just touch those ones that need to touch, Lord Jesus, and to, Lord God, just to give comfort to those that need your native comfort, Lord Jesus. We just we just give you all the praise and the glory, Lord Jesus. We just ask that you, your hand would be on each each one, that your spirit would just be on each hand that was raised, Lord God. That Lord, you know each you know each heart and you know our needs, Lord God. And we just give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thank you, David. Teach me, Lord. To wait down on my knees in your good time, you answer my pleas. Teach me not to rely on what others do. But to wait in prayer for an answer from you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. Well, teach me, Lord, to wait while hearts are Help me humble my pride and call upon your name. Keep my faith renewed and keep my eyes on thee. Help me be on this earth what you want. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
they shall mount up with wings. Do you believe it? And eagle, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord. That's beautiful. <clears throat> what a song to sing after a prayer request. Teach me, Lord, to wait. A lot of times we want things done immediately. And uh, sort of like when we send a text to somebody. Right? Um, I was talking to a friend yesterday morning. We were, we were um, <clears throat> at a little Bible study and talking about how society has changed so much over the years. And he said, yeah, when I send a text to my kids... Sometimes they don't even answer me. I just, sometimes they just get a thumbs up. And I thought, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> but yeah, I guess people aren't as quick with texts as they used to be, right? He was a younger guy. <laughs> but as older people, we, we kind of we have a longer depth of how things have changed. Not as long as others, but um, it's, uh, it's so good to wait upon Jesus and just have that time... And uh, one of the one of the nice things about I think about church starting at eleven is it just gives us that extra opportunity. Uh, Brother David was telling me this, and it sort of David Stevens sort of convicted me <laughs> that um, you know what? Even now, it's so much easier to come into the presence of the Lord in His um, physical sanctuary here, where it is it's our, our sanctuary, not necessarily His sanctuary, and. Um, with so much hustle and bustle, you know, and things going on, to come into the to this uh, area before service starts, and it just to begin seeking Him in prayer, and it's it's quiet, and it's um, <clears throat> and the lights are down. There may be some soft music playing, and it just what a what a wonderful environment just to seek Him and just to set the the um, stage for the message that's going to come later. So I'd encourage you all and myself as well to do that. And uh, you may have a seat for just a moment. We're going to take up the offering if I could get the um, deacons to prepare for that. I was visiting at a church a while, a long time ago, and I I was just thinking about this when I called Brother David, and they both looked at me. And uh, but the song leader looked straight at me and said, "Brother John uh, is here," and I said, "I don't want to get him up to sing a song." And he said, "I believe your sister." is going to join you on this one. And I looked around and I thought, is Caroline here? Because it was a big church and uh, I thought she, maybe she was visiting. We, our church was off. And so I thought, this is great. Maybe she's requested the song. So I got up and started walking down the aisle. At the same time, another brother that was like right up here also got up and his sister stood up. And they started walking. And the song leader looked at me and said, Brother John Cockman, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> and so I froze. And uh, I think we should just draw the curtain of charity on the rest of this scene. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so I'll, I'll be careful to say the last name next time when I see Brother David come up and say the prayer. So um, it's a true story. It actually happened. So if the deacons would come up, and we'll, um, we'll take the offering at this time. If you could, brothers, just pray over there. Thank you. 
Amen. F. Give me your hand. Let's agree together that all of our enemies will crumble at our feet. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. At the name of Jesus, Satan has to flee. Let's rise. Because we've got the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. And though Satan rages, we cannot be got the power in the name of the Lord for many years for many years now Satan's tried to stop us but the bride of Jesus Lord we're still And like a mighty army, we keep marching forward, winning every battle with the Lord at our side, cause we've got the power in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord, and though Satan rages, we cannot be defeated. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Yes, we've got the power. In the name of Jesus, we've got the power. In the name of the Lord, and though Satan rages, we cannot be the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Though Satan rages, we've got power in the name of the Lord.
like to go to prayer this morning, first of all. And remember Sister Laura Collins in Edmonton, who is certainly in need of prayer today. And uh, she is uh, the, sister, the cousin of Sister Rebecca. And um, in a very advanced stage of cancer, uh, we'd ask you to remember her in prayer, if you don't mind. We've been bringing that before you. Um, I want to uh, just share a little testimony with you. And, and this is the one that Brother John Harwell gave us uh, for Eli Mabe, and he's a seven-year-old boy uh, who we've been praying for, lives here in the Hickory area, and is related to Brother Mike Mabe. And um, they said, uh, this was the, the report, the cardiologist said, and he has a heart problem, uh, they only gave him a couple of weeks to live. And the cardiologist said, he can't explain it, but Eli looks the best he has in six months. And the cardiologist said, if Eli looks the same in two weeks from now, there'll be no more need for Eli's hospice nurse to come, who stays with him daily now. But there'll be no need for the hospice nurse. So we want to pray and continue to pray that God will just undertake for that little boy and, and uh, just give him the, the victory. And, uh, that's, let me tell you, that's a, that's a premature death. That's a premature situation. And every time Brother Branham confronted a premature situation, uh, he prayed hard in that case because he said, that's just the enemy trying to do something prematurely in the life of that uh, child. And so we want to pray together with that family and and, uh, Brother Mabe and uh, just trust that the Lord will undertake for that boy. And how many believe that God's a healer? Amen. Amen. Let's sing it this morning before we pray. This is your house. Father, come and dwell. This is your house. A holy house of prayer. Where the lost. burdens and their cares this is your oh this is your house come and dwell we are your house oh we are your house father Come and dwell. Yes, we are your house. Oh, holy house of prayer. Where the lost and the lonely bring their burdens and their cares. We are your are your house. Lord Jesus, we know that a house is just a building unless you come. And when you come, Lord, it becomes a place of communion, a place of fellowship. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, now we submit ourselves to you and pray, Lord, that 
as we present ourselves as living sacrifices, that, Lord, you would consume us. You would just move among us and speak to us, Lord, today. We are a people, Lord, who have faith in you, and we believe that you are one who hears our every prayer. And Lord, we bring these needs before you today, and Brother John has brought several of them, Lord, and there's several that are still unspoken. But Lord, there's some serious needs, and we just bind them all together and lay them at your feet today. We thank, Lord, of this little boy, Eli Mabe, Lord, and just in the very, very early stages of life, and how the enemy has just tried to weaken him and just snatch his life away. Father, we curse that sickness, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would just bring complete deliverance and healing to his body. Lord, we're not here to try to figure it all out and understand it, but we just ask in the name of Jesus that you would just restore health to him. And Father, we think of Sister Laura Collins today, Lord, in her, uh, in her state. And I, I know, Lord Jesus, there's nothing that is impossible with you. And so the best thing we can do, Lord, is just present her before your throne of grace and just be very real to her today. Lord, I, I ask, O oh God, that you would bless this assembly, Lord, and may your holy presence move among us today. Lord, you and I have talked many times throughout this week. And I just want to move myself out of the way now, Lord, and just reflect what you have spoken to me. And I pray that you would uh, just allow the word to sink deep within the hearts of all the hearers today. We give you our minds, our hearts, our gifts and talents. We give you everything, Lord, that you may use us and that, Lord, you may receive the word through us. Heavenly Father, we want to say we love you and thank you for all you do and forgive us of anything Again, Lord, that may hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. Have your way, we pray, in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And amen, praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you will, while you're standing, and we're going to go to two places this morning in the Scripture. first one is going to be 2 Peter chapter 1. These are both two familiar passages of Scripture. We appreciate our musicians this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll read there, and... uh, And we'll go to the book of Acts. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, mine and yours. Let me say it again. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God were uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts, chapter 7. So we want to take that word move today, and I want you just to make a mental note of that. And let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 7. This is Stephen's uh, defense in front of those that were about to kill him. And verse 9 says, And the patriarchs moved with envy. That word envy is also the word jealousy sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions. Say that with me. All his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. It doesn't matter that people are moved to destroy you. What matters is that God is with you. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
Very quickly, January 17th was Sister Rebecca Ivy's birthday. God bless you. No. 18th? Really? My mistake. 17th was Sister Lily's birthday. Uh, and the 18th, Rebecca's uh, birthday. I'm sorry, that's on my calendar incorrectly. Uh, January 20th was Sister Laura's birthday. God bless you, Sister Laura. 22nd was Grace Johnson's birthday. January 24th was uh, is Sister Lydia Clayville's birthday, right? God bless you, Sister Lydia. Roger Gibbs also has a birthday the same day. This is one of the most extraordinary things you'll ever see. We have two doctors in our church. Both of them were born on January 25th. Uh, Sister April Grant and Brother Jonathan Mayle. And uh, they are uh, both celebrating birthdays on the January 25th. 27th is Sister Chanel's birthday. God bless you, Sister Chanel. And 29th is Brother Keith's birthday. And uh, we certainly miss Brother Keith today. I sent out this picture, or some of you would have received this picture, but this is Brother Anwar receiving his uh, uh, certificate of citizenship uh, in the ceremony. Uh, only uh, only uh, he was allowed to go into the ceremony. No one else was there. And uh, after the ceremony, I gave him a call, and uh, uh, he was just so very happy for all that the church had done for him. And uh, he was at a restaurant, he and his wife, and they were... And Wakas, and they were uh, having a meal together to celebrate. And uh, so we were just very proud for and happy for Brother Anwar. The other thing uh, that I wanted to leave with you this morning before we begin is that uh, we will, uh, in, before the end of the year, we had one evening uh, on a Friday night where we had a, a, a prayer meeting. We just had a time of prayer. Lord willing, uh, we're going to do the same thing again this Thursday at 7 p.m. Our prayer meeting is very, very simple. It's just an an hour or so where we come together and pray. There's nothing else that goes on, and uh, you're welcome to come and join us. Uh, We'll be here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Our need for prayer is constant. And I would say this, our need for prayer is urgent. And so, therefore, it is a good thing for us to do. And if you cannot be here, and I certainly understand that, and adding anything into anyone's schedule today is almost on the edge of criminal. And I understand that. But if you can't be here, we would certainly appreciate you praying for us and with us, uh, whoever is able to be here. Now, uh, I want to jump in this morning here and... uh, I want to uh, do a little, uh, this will be like uh, kind of like a little Bible study, and we'll just trust that the Lord will uh, move us along uh, in, in the direction and on the pace that uh, he desires and stop us also uh, at the same point. But I'm going to ask you this morning, because I'm not going to try to fit it all in today, but I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to lock in with me, push everything else aside, and focus on what's being said, because I, I, I believe that... Uh, this is what the Lord laid on my heart today for all of us, not just you and not just me, but for all of us. And so therefore, I will uh, just entrust this service to the Holy Spirit that he can place this word uh, in every heart as he deems fit. That's the best thing we can do, isn't it? Now, <clears throat> in, in the beginning of this, though, I'm going to give you a couple of principles that I really want you to uh, think about. These, these principles are important here. Uh, the, the reason that uh, I, f- I found this scripture here and, and these scriptures are this thought about being moved is that, uh, and I will share with you 
something that I have adopted as a scripture, scripture verse, a scripture chapter uh, for the year. And I, I don't make resolutions at all, but I found this scripture and I wanted to uh, hold on to it. it it's, a, it's a tremendous chapter in the book of Isaiah. And there's a couple of places here that I want you to turn with me so you can read. And that'll be one of them. But in Christ is revealed in his own word, Brother Branham said that prophets did not always understand what they were writing or what they were saying, or they would in no wise have said it if they understood it. Many times it defied logic. It was not sensible. It was not an ordinary thing. Nonetheless, he said they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He said moved, and he, he, he kind of stops on that word. He said when the Holy Ghost moves you, you move. When you know it's the Holy Spirit moving you you, move, you, you need to move. You need to respond to that. When you know it's the Holy Spirit that's moving you. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit moving us? Well, he's always going to move us in accordance with his word. He's never going to move you in accordance with your feelings or what you're after or path of least resistance. He's going to move you in the direction of his word. Then the second thing, he, Brother Branham says in Perfect Faith, is that you compare a Christian today with Christians of long ago, and them disciples walked in the power of the Spirit, moved by the Holy Ghost. Do it, he said, just a prisoner of the Word and the will of God. And he couldn't even move until God moved him. He couldn't even move until God moved him. And wouldn't you like to see a church rise like that? He said, it's going to. It's going back to that. It's got to come. It's on its road now, I believe. How many agree with that? And I want to be a part of that church. I want to be that kind of a, a, a believer uh, that is not swayed by everyone's opinion or feeling, but I would rather be one who is sensitive, sensitive enough to be moved by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to need to be moved in the right direction as we go forward because the, the way is going to become narrower. I believe the way is going to become trickier. And I believe that we need to be careful that we're moved by the Holy Spirit because he and he alone knows the way. How many would agree? All right. I hope I'm making sense now as we, as we just begin to lay this down. Now, in the coming year, Brother Branham said, and this was 1954, and this is New Year's Eve on 1954. He said, this coming year, help us, Lord, to be the best for your service and keep sickness out of our midst. And anoint us with the Holy Ghost and keep envy and strife and keep jealousy, keep everything that's ungodly away from us. How many would feel like that's a reasonable prayer? Hey, it's not just for 1954. That's a reasonable prayer for today. And let it be said of us that we are your children, a city that's sitting on a hill that cannot be hid, granted, Father. We are that kind of people that uh, people could see us as a, a city of light. That people could see us as a people of grace. That, that people could see us as someone they could turn to, to, uh, you know, to see a Christian life. That's the kind of people that we would want to be. And this is Brother Bram's prayer for uh, the beginning of the year. And uh, anoint us with the Holy Spirit and keep all the envy and the strife and jealousy. Keep everything that's ungodly. Because those things clearly are ungodly. They come, they happen, but they're ungodly. Now I would tell you they don't come from God. They don't come from heaven. You'll remember this diagram that I put up before. And let's just look at it real briefly here. Uh, we have, uh, I, I, I like to simplify things because I consider myself to be a simple person. And uh, I, I wanted to 
just say that we have this relationship, first of all, that is the primary or most important one, and that is your relationship with God, is what I call the vertical. And in the vertical relationship, it begins only with a new birth. It does not begin with attendance, it begins with new birth. It does not begin with association with the church, it begins with a new birth. That's how it starts. There is no other way to initiate a relationship with God. Uh, God has no grandchildren. We are not, uh, we are not a part of Him, part of the body of Christ, uh, just because we're good people. Uh, we are part of uh, God because we're born into the family, right? This is all elementary. But your primary, your primary responsibility in this life, uh, is, is that relationship with God. When you become a Christian and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and so forth, uh, then, you know, He has control of your life. You've laid down your rights and, uh, surrendered at the cross. And so therefore now, uh, it, it's not me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Amen. The second thing that I think is important for us to understand is that we have a relationship on this side over here to the local body of which we are a part. You have to belong to a local body, and we, being many, are one body. Just like you have many body parts, but they're all part of one body. So they're singular uh, in their plurality, if you like. And uh, therefore, what one part of that body does matters to the rest of it. If you didn't have a heart to pump blood, the rest of your body would sure know it. If you didn't, I mean, you people that, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately lost your smell or taste... Uh, you're reminded of it every day uh, because of the, the virus or whatever. You're reminded of that. When you, uh, when you have something that's, you know, happening in your body and, you know, my goodness, it's gone or some, somehow compromised, uh, it, it's a very difficult thing. The whole body is reminded of that continually. Whether we like it or not, God's put us together. He's kind of juggled us together and uh, brought us from different backgrounds and put us into the, uh, the one place. And, uh, you know, it's never a profitable thing for us to run to another place because, uh, you know, we may have a disagreement and then run to another place because we have, you know, those greener pastors over on the other side or run to another place. Hey, uh, greener pastors are kind of elusive. You're better off looking after your own pasture and making it as green as possible. The third thing that we have to be responsible for is to be what uh, Brother Bram just said and the scriptures teach us, and that is uh, a light that shines in the darkness. So you have responsibility to the, to the outside world, to the outsider, and, and the rest of the people that are not within the body. So we have this primarily, the local body of which we are a part, and then we also are commissioned by Jesus in Matthew 5 to let your light shine before men so that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're not going to heaven because of our good works, but it's good to let other people see that you're capable of performing some. We're also to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So there are, uh, there are definite advantages to letting other people see your kindness and see your attitude and to see your honesty and to see your integrity uh, in life. It is a very powerful thing for people to see that because there's not really, in reality, there's not much left in the world today, right? There's not much, there's not much integrity left in the world today. And so therefore, the world is not dying, Brother Branham said, for a better economic situation. The world is not in trouble for that. The world is not hurting for that. Not for better buildings or a bigger denomination. But it's dying for somebody to reach out with a hand of, say it with me, reach out with a hand of love to show that we care one for the other. You know what? That's what it'll kill a church. And that's what people get most discouraged about is that they feel nobody loves them. And nobody cares about them. And nobody's got their back. 
And that's a tough place for anybody to be in. And so Brother Branham said the world is dying because of that. And Jesus even warned us in Matthew 24. He said that the love of many would wax cold. And so therefore, he said that's really a powerful thing when we reach out a hand of love. Not a, not a finger of condemnation, but a hand of love to show that we care one for another. And that's the very sign that Jesus told us, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples when we got love one for another. Ah, I'm just saying what the tapes say. You're going to hear that today. But let's go to another, uh, another scripture here and say this, that in Galatians chapter 6, I find there are all kinds of scriptures and all kinds of uh, places where we are commissioned as a people within the body towards one another to bear one another's fault, uh, bear one another's burden, sorry, and, and to bear one another's uh, you know, concerns and pray one for another. This is one scripture, there are many, that if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. Not in a spirit of, you know what, buddy? I think on the scale, my sins weigh less than yours. Huh. So therefore, I have a right to correct this. Sorry, should I not have said that? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, and bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm thankful he bore my burden of sin. For if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Ah, that's a great scripture. But you know, there are many, many like that, that, that imply the same thing. That uh, if you're going to show anything, don't show animosity. If you're going to show anything, don't show envy. If you're going to show anything, show mercy. Mercy is the best thing you can show to one another. And if you have integrity, nothing else matters. And if you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. Integrity is important. Now, let me just say this. that uh, There's a little principle here that is important. I need you to lock in with me now. I'm just preambling really towards our study. But I, I, I think this will help us to set the tone for that. Uh, in this, in this uh, two scriptures, in these two scriptures that I want to show you here, uh, there's a, a really important principle, and that is, that is found in Exodus chapter 13. This is the beginning of the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Right? They're moving out. Now, Pharaoh's bound them, but they're moving out. Now, watch what happens, because this, this affects all of us here today. It came to pass when Pharaoh would let the people go. Uh, actually, God broke his back, and so therefore he had to let him go. That God led them through the way of the land of the Philistines. Uh, sorry. That God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent, that they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed, they went up in order, out of the land of Egypt. So God said there is a shorter way. There is a way of, you know, an easier path. And I could lead them that way, but I'm not going to lead them that way because they're not ready for the battle. If they were ready to fight, God would have led them a different way. But he knew the hearts of the people that they were not ready for, uh, you know, this particular kind of struggle. So you know what? He led them around it. And that was God knowing what was best for the children of Israel. But we find later on, roughly 40 years later on, 
in the book of Deuteronomy, in the second chapter, here's what is said. Rise ye up. This is again to the same people. Rise ye up, take your journey, pass over the river Arnon, and behold, I have given into thine hand Sion, the king, uh, Sion the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. What is God saying about the people? That at this point, you're not really ready to engage in the battle, so I'm going to lead you around the struggle. But now, you know what? You've had, uh, you've had 40 years of seeing, uh, seeing things. You, you've learned some things over the years. And now, I'm going to bring you right face to face with this particular struggle here and this particular king. And I want you to contend with him in battle. God would never lead us to a battle we're not equipped to fight. God will never lead you into something that means certain destruction. God's only going to allow certain things to arise because he feels like you're capable and mature enough to handle it. Our, our responsibility is to recognize that the things that happen to us really truly are ordained of God. How many can say amen? This day I will begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heavens. Why should anyone fear us? Why should anyone respect us if we can't respect one another? Why should, why should anybody else look at us as a group to join if we cannot resolve our own differences together and, and uh, bind our hearts together and run the devil out the front door? That'd be a good question, wouldn't it? It would be profitable for us to uh, grow up and act like the Christian soldiers we are and uh, to be able to deal with the devil together instead of dealing with one another in a harsh way together. God says, hey, I would never bring you here unless I felt you were ready. I'd never bring you here unless I felt like I've given you a word that if you take that word and apply it and the promises and you take those things and apply it, let me tell you, you'll be ready for the battle. You'll be ready against any enemy. You'll be ready for the devil. You'll be ready for whatever Satan throws at you and the powers of darkness throw at you. And therefore, if God feels that, uh, you know, that, that, that maturity is there, if God feels like I have a word that's strong enough to defeat any enemy, God's not afraid to allow the devil to come this way and come at that angle and come at this angle over here. There are times when God prevented it, and there are times when God allowed it. Now, we all know this scripture. I, I, I hardly need to quote it for you, but it's an important one here in this junction because Paul is not saying that uh, no one's going to be against you. He's not saying that at all. But what he is telling us is that anyone who is against you doesn't get a vote. Anyone who is against you doesn't have a vote in terms of your outcome. I would say, all right, let's, let's read it here. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. The way that God looks at you is one who has been foreknown, he's been predestinated, he's been conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has made decisions about you, and anyone who is uh, against us doesn't get a vote, because God's already made the decision about us to predestinate us and to ordain us unto eternal life. They don't have a say in your outcome, isn't that right? They never put your name on the Lamb's Book of Life, and neither can they take it off. And anyone who sees you the way the Father sees you would never be against you. Can I say that again? Anyone who sees you the way the Father sees you would never be against you or be critical of you. 
Because when my father looks at me, he's not critical of me. You know why? Because I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't see sin or fault at all. And if anybody is against you or critical, they're not looking at you the way that the father looks at you. They're looking at you through another set of eyes. And anyone who has rejected you or criticized you doesn't see you the way the Father does. And I will guarantee you, everything that God gave through Christ is also ours by inheritance. And therefore, if God be with us, who can be against us? If God be with us, who can be against us? He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us in the beginning because we, uh, as, as Paul writes, we don't even really thoroughly know the will of God, but he intercedes for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Your attorney and your judge is exactly the same person. Isn't that right? So therefore, we should learn, folks, we should learn to craft our confession based on how the Father sees us. And therefore, we sing the song, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let us say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ, which, 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 which has saved me and, uh, you know, established me and, and, and brought me into his glorious realm of grace. Our confession should be based on what he says about us and not what other people may say. Let me tell you something. If somebody criticizes us, they're not looking at us like the Father does. And Paul is reminding us and giving us the promise here that all things can work together for good to them that love God. Because if God is interested in the body, and we know He is because He died for the body, then you know what? We should begin to look at one another as He looks at us as well. Here's the way Brother Branham put it. He says, in the deity of Christ, he said, but that is the God, the Creator, living in you giving you all power, and you're in possession of anything he had. You're in possession of anything he had. So it is in you to abstain from evil, to do good, to shun evil, and to flee right to righteousness, and to turn away from temptation. It's in you to do that. And all malice and hatred, and strife and envy, come away from it, for that will take him from your heart. Just saying what the tapes say. Receive him. Embrace him. Love him. And hold him in your heart. And love him. Receive him. And embrace him. And love him. With all your heart. That's a good piece of advice. Take your Bible. I need you to go to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. This is a great promise uh, chapter for Isaiah and uh, for the, the Israelites who have been exiled, but have a promise now of redemption. They have a promise of reconciliation. Now remember, I've talked about reconciliation a little over the last couple of months, and uh, even though we've had uh, interruptions here, reconciliation, as we know, is a very important thing. It's a very uh, upfront thing with God, that it matters more, like Jesus said, if you know that your brother has ought against you, you would uh, go and, and uh, you know, try to reconcile with your brother before you do anything with the offering. So uh, before you want to get up and, and sing like a lily, uh, that's going to mean less to God than if you go and make that thing right. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a real clear priority how God feels about this. But in this chapter, in Isaiah chapter 51, uh, God makes a very interesting promise to Israel. 
And uh, I, I love the, the way that it's written here in, in verse 11. We'll just read a couple of verses here. And therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Sorrow and mourning are things we experience. But God says, one day, I'm going to chase that away. And he says, when you come back to the Lord, you come back to Israel, come back to Jerusalem, and come back to the temple, and come back to my word, he said, then gladness and joy shall replace the sorrow and mourning. They'll flee away. They'll flee away. Because certainly you can't have both of them at the same time. And then in verse 12, he reminds Israel of something very important here. He says, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the son of man which shall make, shall be made as grass. Who are you to be afraid in the midst of your struggle? Or, in other words, why would you be afraid of all when you know I'm with you? And I promise to be with you even in you until the end of the way. Right? In other words, God's saying, hey, buddy, wake up. Take a look. Look at me. Look how big I am. Why, why in the world would you be worried? Why, why are you fearful about things? And why, uh, you know, why do you let fear strangle you? Because the word fear uh, in the Bible is, is very kin to the word strangle. And a lot of people can be like, you know, when you're strangled, you, you can't get your breath. And a lot of people are strangled because of fear. They, it's like they're locked. They can't, they can't do anything. And God is saying, hey, why in the world are you afraid? Why are you afraid of a man that's going to die just like a human being? And why should you be afraid of the Son of Man who will be uh, made as grass? Why are you afraid of, uh, you know, the words of people? And why are you afraid of, uh, you know, the the elements out there? Why are you afraid of the future? Why are you afraid of, uh, you know, things that people might say? Hey, aren't I bigger than that? Look, take a look, take another look, see how big I am. That's what God's saying to Israel. And in verse 13, and forget us the Lord thy maker that they, that, uh, that has stretched forth thine hands and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared continually every day because of the fury uh, of the oppressor as it, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Where are those people that condemn, uh, you know, the Christians over the years? Where are those, where are those, uh, kings and monarchs that uh, you know, rain threats down upon the church over the years. Where are they? All of them in their kingdoms are but dust. And where's the church still marching on? Come on, you're a part of that church. You're a direct descendancy of that, uh, of that lineage of believers that started all the way from Pentecost. And all those oppressors that uh, tried to stop the church and vowed its destruction and connived all kinds of plans against it. Where are they? Let me ask you the question, where are they? And God says, hey, buddy, wake up. Take a look. See how big I am? Because this is not your church. This is not uh, your your destiny. This is not your program. This is not uh, what, what what you purchased. This is what I purchased. This is my church. And woe unto him that comes against my church. Woe unto him that uh, tries to oppress my people. Uh, don't play games with me. Wake up. See how big I am. 
That's what he's reminding Israel. So, who are you to be afraid? That's what he says. Who are you to be afraid? Be bold. Be, be confident in your, uh, in your embrace of Christianity. Be, be bold in your, uh, in, in your leading to follow the Lord. And make sure it's the Lord. Make sure it's Him that uh, is leading you. And when you know it's leading Him, you just gotta look around every now and then to see how big He is. And that's what God's reminding Israel here. Uh, we're not, we're not hoping to win this thing. We're not hoping to make it. We're not hoping that it comes out good. We believe that it will because of the God that we serve. Not because of your strength. And not because you got the ability to figure it out. And not because you got super discernment or something else. And not because you feel you have a right. That has nothing to do with it at all. The reason that the bride of Christ will be victorious is because... See how big he is? Oh, God is good. God is good. Now... Paul writes as well that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. We should have the same care one for another. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And when one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Whenever there's a part of your body that suffers, all the rest of the body knows it. And because suffering is a part of this life, if we, if we only have, uh, you know, the, the positive side, that's called heaven. That's called a millennium. But in this life, there are misunderstandings. In this life, there are criticisms that come. In this life, uh, you know, there are uh, misunderstandings that happen in this life. Even among good people and sincere people in this life, there are things that don't always go right. In this life, our plans are not always seen to be fulfilled. In this life, there are unexpected things. I remember I mentioned a little while ago to you about uh, the minister down in uh, Trinidad, Brother Dial, and his wife died of uh, the virus there. He was under investigation by the, by the Trinidadian government for uh, things, and I don't believe there was any criminal wrongdoing that was done there. But he was under investigation. In the meantime, his wife got COVID. Uh, then a couple of weeks later, after they buried her, his daughter uh, got COVID as well, wound up in the hospital she was expecting. The baby died on the, on the operating table. The daughter died on the operating table. And after it was all over and the funerals were all done, he has a stroke. And left him incapacitated in that way. I mean, you talk about, uh, you talk about the unexpected. You talk about things that happen. You talk about, uh, you know, when a person's, you know, they're moving in a certain direction and anticipating, I know what tomorrow's gonna hold. And we come to the realization, you know what? We don't hold tomorrow at all. And what a, what a situation to face yourself in. And you know what? In times like that, when Paul says that, uh, you know, we, we should learn what it means to have care one for another. And that means that but for the grace of God I stand today and but for the grace of God today uh, I'm able to help this person and I'm able to, uh, you know, to assist them and I'm able, hey listen, even if they won't let me near them, I can at least pray for them. Because I'd rather be found praying for them than criticizing them. I'd rather be found praying for them uh, than working against them because bad things happen to good people. They just do. And Paul says we should consider ourselves. Because you know what? The pendulum swings two ways. Are we okay? All right. 
So as we have mentioned the scripture already today in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus anticipated that among even uh, brothers, because that's what's mentioned here, there may be differences. And he says that we would leave the gift and go thy way, he says, be reconciled. And verse 25 says, agree with thine adversary quickly. And that word agree simply means to have a peaceable spirit. But the way you want to conduct yourself in any kind of a disagreement is to have a peaceable spirit, or at least to be able to wish one well. I may not be your closest friend, but I could at least wish one well. I'm just telling you what the word means. I'm just telling you what Jesus said, because Jesus anticipated that we would run into situations where uh, people would not always agree. There are scriptures that pertain to how we would deal with somebody outside the body. And then there are things that, uh, you know, so we have this way and we have this way. And also, if you run into trouble with God and you do something wrong and you need to repent, well, there are scriptures that uh, teach us how to do that. That's important. But <clears throat> you might say, well, listen, man, I, I, I have my rights. And we live in an age of people's rights. And that's become really a, an issue now because everybody feels like they're right and everybody feels like they have their rights and everybody feels like uh, the way I see it, I'm right. And they also feel like it wouldn't be just to not deal with this. It wouldn't be just to let that go. You know what? I'm glad God does not deal with us that way. Because the thought of justice without mercy is something I'd never want to face. The thought of justice without being tempered with mercy is something you never, ever want to have to deal with. So Jesus tells us, the thing you need to do is be merciful, even as your Father is also merciful. We don't want to ever be outside of the mercy of God, because then God would deal with us according to his justice and not towards us with mercy. My goodness, that's no place... I would want to be, is outside of God's mercy. Let me say it this way. I would have to say that we as the bride of Christ in this age are probably the most forgiven people in the world. We are the most forgiven people in the world. Because you come, hey folks, you come out of Laodicea, right? We are a very, very forgiven people. Because of all the slop and the dirt and the filth that's in our age, that was not necessarily in other ages. Now, other ages were not lily white. But I will tell you that uh, other ages didn't have all the access to pornography and all the other uh, ills of social media and everything else that we kind of get caught up in and all the other stuff that goes on, all the other images we see. And we, I think, we, in, in, especially in the last age, are a very forgiven people. And because we are such a forgiven people, we should be a very forgiving people. You agree? What's your name? Kingston. What a name. God bless you, my brother. Good to have you today. Sorry for the cold hands. Because we have been forgiven, we should be forgiving. Because we have been forgiven so much, we should be forgiving so much. Because we have been loved, we should love much. Because that's how it works in the kingdom of God. That's how things, that's how God, God looks at things. But you still say, well, Brother Barry, I have, I have rights. I, I have certain rights. And I, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand for my rights. 
Now, remember now Isaiah 51. God is saying to you, hey, buddy, relax. Uh, Who are you to be afraid? You have me with you. So if you're done wrong, hey, look up, see how big I am. Relax here. You're not in control. I'm in control. God's God's got it all under his control. People will hang on to their rights, and they have, you know, they have a steadfastness, and well, you know, this this can't happen, that can't happen, and something else. Now, I will say this: I, I, I want to use a, a statement here by Justice, former Justice Antonin Scalia. Now, he was a great uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice, and he he talked. Uh, he has some great sayings, and this is just one of them. And I wanted to introduce this to you. So, stay with me here for a little bit. Is this all right? Stay with me here, girls. He says, what is lawful is not always right. What is lawful is not always right. Let let me give you an example. This is just an example that I'm I'm familiar with, and there's many, but here's one. You could say that because of the way I want to live, I can rack up a whole bunch of money on my credit card, a whole bunch of spending on things on my credit card. So I might be way over my head in debt. And your intent is, well, you know what? When I've spent all I can spend on that, I'll just go bankrupt. And I'll have the judge erase the debt. Now, in the old days, don't get any funny ideas because you can't do this anymore and it's a proper thing. In the old days, you could just go in and declare bankruptcy and all your debt would be wiped off. So you know what? you got a zero balance on your card now. Or at least you don't have any burden to repay. That was the law. You had a right to do that. But was it right? Was it morally right? Was it morally right when you applied for the card and signed on that bottom line? And even though you may not have read the fine print, the fine print says that uh, when you use this card, you have a promise to repay. That's what it says. And you couldn't get the card unless you signed for it. But embedded in that fine print was a, a, a promise that you made. That you would repay whatever balance that you had. So even if the law granted you an option to bankrupt it off, was it right? I realize things get a little, t- a little quiet. You don't want to talk about this because uh, it's not always talked about. <laughs> and a lot of times it is like nails on a chalkboard. But nonetheless, I've counseled people in, in their financial uh, dilemmas before, and I've said, you know, who have been in this, exactly this situation, I said, you know, you did make a promise to repay, and as much as within your power, I think it would be a good thing for you to do it. Because you have a right, but it may not be right. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you're, you're not going to go to jail because you did it that way. But, you know, at the end of the day, what's the right thing? Aha. Aha. Hold on now, hold on now to the thought, okay? Now watch what he says. What is lawful is not always right. Confusing the two concepts is particularly easy for English-speaking people because the word right, we often think, refers to legality and moral appropriateness. Well, it must be right. Well, it must be a right. And so we can easily, as English-speaking people, you know, blend the two and the meanings of two because it is the same English word. I will tell you something, that God is not confused about how you interpret the word right. Because you may have a right to do something, but that doesn't always mean that it's right. 
Therefore, I think it is important for us, I think it is important for us to make sure, if you could advance me here, there we go, we should always strive to exercise only those rights which would pass the legal test and the Bible test. Are we okay? I hope you're following me now because this is going to matter. If I'm going to do something, obviously it would need to be legal. But obviously it's got to be right according to the Bible because you know what? That's our higher absolute. That's our higher law. Isn't it right? I may have a right to do something, but you know what? Sticking with that right may violate this right. And i got to answer to God. That's the difference. You, a citizen would have to answer to the judge. But you and I have to answer to the judge and the judge. That makes a difference. That means that my decisions are going to be tempered by two things, not just one. I'm not going to hire an attorney to find out what I can get away with. I'm gonna, I may have to hire an attorney for some reason, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, understand the law. And I've advised people in different situations to find out what the law says because, uh, you know, they don't need to be trampled on unnecessarily. And they don't need to be persecuted and, uh, you know, be, be, uh, uh, robbed of something because they are ignorant of the law. And I've often told people, contact a, an attorney you trust and find out what the law says because, you know, you're involved in something here and you need to know. But let me tell you this. <clears throat> You also need to consult, consult the law. You need to consult the law of God. Amen. And you need to find out what that says. Because I'm a little more concerned about what this says than what an attorney says. Yeah. Right? Well, Brother Barry, it sounds good. But it's going to be more convincing when you see how thorough this is dealt with in the Bible. Here's one. I love this little story. I've never told it to you before. This is the story of Shimei. Shimei was a guy who lived in the days of David. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. His name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. And he came forth and cursed still as he came. I'm not going to demonstrate this. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David. Now, the Bible says that David and all of his court and his wives and children were all leaving Jerusalem. This is equivalent to some nutcase on a bridge dropping bricks on the passing motorcade. And he's saying all kinds of stuff to David the king, a man after God's own heart. And he's saying all manner of evil things against David because he doesn't like David. David's not on our team. I'm for Absalom. And so he's, they've got this group over here and this group over here. And David's walking out in despair out of Jerusalem, going out like this in his motorcade. And all of a sudden they hear the rocks and the bricks. And, the, and they, they roll down the window and they hear this guy saying what he's saying about King David. My goodness. Hey, the rocks and the bricks would be bad enough in the motorcade. But you know what? He violated one of the first principles of Scripture when he said, Thou shalt, this is what God told the children of Israel. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. I'd give you a little piece of advice about saying all manner of things about our current president. He may not be my best friend, but I'm careful about what I say about him. <clears throat> you know why? Because God demands respects. And you know what? God's in charge of world orders, not Mr. Biden and not anybody else. He's in charge of world orders, and I'm not going to criticize God because he made a poor choice. 
I might criticize the choice, but I'm not criticizing God for making it. There's a little bit of a difference there. But either way, one of the laws says you can't curse the ruler of thy people. Now, you may be looking at that verse and saying, hey, Brother Barry, where does the word gods come in? The word gods means, in the Hebrew, it means Elohim. And that means that it doesn't refer just to God himself, but it refers to, listen, all the things of God. So God's temple, God's commandments, God's word, God's people. Thou shalt not revile God's people. Thou shalt not revile God's temple. So you're better off not throwing a rock at the king's motorcade, but you're also better off not throwing a rock through our window. You're better off not slandering somebody on social media. Hello? Because that's what, that's what God said. All right, let's follow Shimei. In the, it, listen to me before you read. Wouldn't David, on the basis of what I just said, have a right to deal with Shimei? And there are people standing there. His soldiers are standing there who are not afraid to use the sword. They got their hands on the hilt of that sword, and they're ready. Just at David's command. Let me know, sir. Let me know. Let me know. Whack! Kingston head is on the ground. Al is right. Come again. We don't always slay the people in the front row, but we sometimes mess them up. <clears throat> Wouldn't David have a right to deal with Shimei? He's, he is violating not only the, the law, but he's violating you know, his, his family, his, his wives and children, his testimony, and everything is all... Here's this man saying all manner of filth. So here's what happens a couple of chapters later. Let, my, let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me. This is Shimei. He's coming to David asking this. Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me. Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the king went out of Jerusalem. That the king should not take it to heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. And therefore, behold, I am the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. I came first because I wanted to ask your forgiveness. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered, Here is David and all these men standing around, and these are men of the sword. And they're standing around and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But the law says, Shouldn't we just go ahead and cut his head off? And David said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zariah? He doesn't even speak to Shimei. He says, what should I have to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am king this day over Israel. Therefore the king said unto Shimei, thou shalt not die. The king swear unto you. You know what? David had a right. But he also was concerned about this other right. What would God do? He's a man after God's own heart. What would God do? And he forfeits his legal right to stand with the moral right. Are we okay? I hope you're getting the picture. If there's ever any story in history that illustrates this point, it would have to be Joseph. In the book of Genesis... 
So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive thee, I pray thee. These are the uh, brothers who find out. They look at their phones and they find out, Father is dead. And as soon as they realize, Father's dead, Jacob's dead, you know what they do? They know. They know that if anybody has the right to get even, it would be Joseph. They know that Joseph would never do anything as long as he's alive. As long as Jacob's alive. He'd never do anything to them because Father is there. But the moment that he dies, they know. And immediately they they harness a messenger and send him off to Joseph. Go to the palace and say this to Joseph. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. You go quickly and make apologies. Do whatever is necessary. Bow before him and say whatever you need to say. But you make sure that Joseph knows, sorry, that we are, we are apologetic. They're owning their, their, their uh, disobedience. They're owning their murderous, envious thoughts. They're owning their jealousies of Joseph. Right? They're owning all of this. And they realize, wow, we have caused so much problem in a person's life. And Joseph, hey, legally, he could sue them for lost wages. Right? I mean, legally, he could do a lot of things here. He's... I mean, he's second in command in the country. He has the courts in his hand. He is sustaining the whole world because of the famine. He's got power. And he could have the right, the legal right, to do something to those brothers if he wanted to. I mean, he could just consign them to hard labor for the rest of their years. But when he hears this and he assumes that, do you think I'm the kind of a guy that would get even with you? Do you think I'm the kind of a guy that holds a grudge and has spite in my heart? Am, am I, do you think I'm that kind of a guy? And he breaks down and weeps. He weeps in front of that messenger. And it says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Am I in the place of God? Who do you think I am? Am, uh, do I have a right to act like God? Do you think I, I, I'm acting like God here? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. And now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly to them. Listen to me. His speaking betrayed how he felt in his heart. I said his speaking, his words betrayed They reflected what he felt in his heart. This is not the words of a hypocrite. These are not unfeigned words. These are uh, not, oh, God bless you, love you, brother. This is not that. This is Joseph being moved and compassionate now for his brother and saying, hey, guys, it's done. It's over. And you know what? You interpret it one way, but you know what? We all had it wrong. I thought I was in prison, and you thought you put me there. But really, it was God that did this to keep us all alive. And you know what? We're here. You know what we ought to do? We ought to thank God. Kingston, we ought to thank God. That, that he's brought us this far. Come on, let's, let's, let's think about this for a minute here. Uh, if there's any group of people on earth who ought to thank God for where you are today, it ought to be you and I. Amen. 
Because if it wasn't for the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God, which is new every day, you'd be out there with the rest. You'd be scrambling for truth like everybody else. You'd be wondering what's right and what's next and where do we go and what do we do from here? And what, uh, you know, what in the world am I supposed to do now with my family? What do I tell my daughters now about this and that? And how do I keep my, my life clean? How do I keep my family pure? How do I keep, uh, you know, on the right track? All of these things you are, you are spared from because of the mercies of God, which are new every day. And Joseph said, we all had it wrong. You know what? We all had it wrong. But by the mercies of God, we stand today. We're all fed. We all have grain. We all have loaves of bread in our in our storehouses. It was not my thinking. That was not my prediction. That was not my calculation. That was the mercy of God that was extended to all of us because he wanted the lineage to run all the way to David and not be, not be put on a hill in a grave somewhere. But God wanted the lineage to continue. Why don't we stand back and look at that and say that every one of you are a member of HBT are here because of the grace of God. You're not here because I brought you. And you're not here because, uh, you know, of your own diligence and your own brains. That's not why you're here. You're here because of the grace of God and the mercy of God that's been extended to you. And because we are such a forgiven people, we should be a forgiving people. Because we are such a loved people, we should be a loving people. Oh, you said it's Old Testament. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 here, like, <clears throat> we don't have time to read, but that's the that's the... Boundary there, 7 to 18. The Corinthians decided that they were not going to give Paul an offering. And Paul was there making tents on his own. And Paul didn't complain about making tents. He was probably good at it. If he was around, I'd ask him to make me one. But he illustrates to them a principle. That who goes into warfare any time at his own charge? What individual goes to war and pays for everything himself? He fights on behalf of someone. And he says, who plants a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who uh, feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man or say, these, uh, say not the law also? For it is written, the law of Moses says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. So Paul is talking about money here, and he's talking about offerings. He's talking about their stewardship. He's talking about a flaw that they have in their understanding. And Paul is not arguing with them to try to get more money out of them. He's trying to get them to see that God had a principle as to how we should deal with one another and deal with the minister and deal with paying your tithes and following in obedience all the principles of the law. And then if you drop down, and this is not continuous, I'm in 13 here. Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the holy things, the things of the temple? <clears throat> we dedicate ourselves to the things of God so that we can minister to the things of God, to the people of God, and that's how we live. I have news for you, Kingston. You don't know me. I mean, you know me a little bit, right? Could have cut your head off, and I didn't. But... <clears throat> I don't have another job. I don't have another occupation. I, don't ha- I live completely by serving God's people. <clears throat> we print books all over the, the world. I've never taken a nickel for anything that's, that's come in for that because that's, that's, not, that's not how I view it. But the church here supports me, and I appreciate that so much. And you know what? When you do your part and I do my part, somehow or another God makes it all come together. And Paul is saying, i got a legal right to blast you folks here about this, but he said, I'm not. He said, 
If you read the, and you can read the entire piece there, Paul is saying, I have a right to say certain things. He said, but I'm going to forego that. Because I always want to make sure I stay right with God here. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this. So he says, I need you to understand some principles, but I, I certainly do want to stay right with God. Hmm. Can I go a little further? So warfare exists. I mean, <clears throat> we're constantly faced with, faced with choices. And there are choices that are... You know, we, we look at something and say, well, I have a right to do this. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to stand back and say, what would God consider to be right? And that's always the other question you have to ask, and I have to ask all the time. So <clears throat> let's switch now for a moment, and I, I'm running out of time, but just give me a few minutes here because I told you we're not going to try to cram it all in here. But let's look at this warfare that went on right from the very beginning. It was this way with Cain, and Brother Bram was talking about the flowers that Cain offered, because in his mind, flowers were nicer. Flowers were prettier. They would probably be more acceptable to God. And he brought the fruits of the field and made his service to God, but it was rejected, because he did not come the right and precise way that God told him to come. <clears throat> now, this, this quote is a pretty important quote. At least it was to me. This week, it was illuminated to me. And uh, I, I trust in some way I'm saying something that might be a help to somebody. You say, Brother Barry, are you mad? Well, you can define mad two ways, right? Foolish or angry. Not the angry way. <clears throat> but bear with me in my folly just for a little bit. But he made his offering, Cain, and did everything religiously just as his brother did except for what he offered, but he was rejected. And because he was rejected on the spiritual side, it caused a jealousy to rise up inside of him because he was greedy. He wanted the blessing. He wanted the praises of God. He said, that's in man. He can't help being what he is. Men are born in that condition. The jealousy arose out of the fact that he was rejected spiritually. I mean, naturally, probably had people coming up with their phones, taking a picture of his altar and phew, the blue ribbon for the nicest looking altar. And here's Abel over here with blood and guts hanging over the, rolling over the altar and a dead lamb and his hands all bloody. And, you know, he's just standing back. Brother Bram said he stood back and looked at that. And wouldn't he got any blue ribbons that day? But Cain's response, Cain's response triggered another response inside of him, deep inside of him. Because now I'm not accepted with God. Well, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? He thinks he's something special. He thinks he's got some sort of priority with God. Or he thinks... The response of God. The response of God. Respo re re it, it, it clicks. Something happens in, in Cain. And he's looking at that. 
all of a sudden there's jealousy. I'm not saying that God causes jealousy. I'm just saying that sometimes a person can be involved in sin. They can be involved in something that's not right. Because you have to come to God the, the right and precise way. I, I believe we're still under that. I believe we still have to come to God the right and precise way. I believe we have to still do things right. Not our way. We have to do them right. We can't just feel another way and hope that it's acceptable by God because there are lots of things that people feel that are not acceptable by God. They might have a right to feel them and they might have a right to say them. But at the end of the day, you've got to make sure it's right with God and right with His Word. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But here, here is Cain. He didn't come the right and precise way. And now all of a sudden, this is sparked. And sometimes a person can have, you know, they can be living outside the boundaries. They can commit a wrong, never repent of that, maybe. And they're in a place where spiritually they're not right. And because they may see the blessing on someone else, it can spark something in them. And I understand from the Bible that jealousy is crueler than the grave. It's not an easy or a nice thing to deal with. <clears throat> I think Abel had at the beginning a spiritual revelation that it wasn't fruit or works of our hands, so forth. It was blood. He offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain did. We find in Abraham and Lot that in a, in a choice, same thing, in a choice, because Lot went down, the time came when the spiritual man, the natural church, came into a clash, and they had to separate. And whenever this does, it sets up a jealousy. Filthy, rotten, demonic jealousy. We find out that when God accepted Abel's revelation and he's offering, it made Cain get jealous of Abel. And there was the first murder. Wow. I mean, it doesn't take long, does it? You ever notice the multitude of ways you can kill somebody these days? You don't need a knife, you don't need a gun. A lot of times you can do it with your phone. We find out that jealousy become between the herdsmen of Abraham a lot. They had to separate. We find out that Moses and Korah had a clash also. And down, down, down he goes. The principle is there. Wow. So now you have this civil war between Cain and Abel or Moses and Korah or the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. You have a civil war. You know what? <laughs> Here's the funny thing. Both of them think they're right. And you know what? Both of them think they got God on their side. So here's Brother Branham's comment. He says, I'm slipping into a nation right now. Stop. That nation is South Africa. And the denominational people in South Africa have a very strong hold on what's going on uh, with the ministry there. The, the, the major denominations, there's two of them, very powerful. They still are. Uh, there's less people follow now, but they're, they're very powerful in Brother Bram's day. They were both Trinitarian, and one group of those people believed that you had to baptize three times face down in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other group felt that you needed, well, when they laid Jesus in the grave, it was on his back, so you had to baptize three times back, backwards and do that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was what they believed. Before Brother Branham would be allowed to come to South Africa, they sent him a document. And they said, you have to sign the document, which is equivalent to what we have today as a statement of faith, agreeing 
that if anybody wants to be converted in the meetings that you have, we love your gift, we want you to come because lots of people will come, but you have to agree in writing that you will encourage everybody to be baptized three times face, face, backward, face forward uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or we're not going to let you come. I'm doing that. Right. Brother Bram didn't sign the document. But that was the condition they laid down. So the only way he could come into South Africa was as a tourist. And that's why he said, I'm slipping into this nation now. <clears throat> he slips into the nation and he says, they won't let the ministry that God, one of them believes, you've got to be baptized three times face down and so forth. You've got to be baptized three times face forward. And they're both wrong. Both sides are wrong. And such nonsense separating people shows its jealousy. It's from Satan. It isn't from God. But you know what? Both sides are thinking they're right. <clears throat> and let me tell you what they're doing. They're looking at their understanding as right and not what God says is right. They have a right to believe what they want to believe, right? You understand what I'm saying? You can have a feeling that you're right. You can have a position that you think is right. But it also has to be right over here. It can't just be the legal thing and the divine thing, one or the other. It cannot be, uh, of course, if it's a divine right, it's okay. But they can't have a denominational right, and that be different than the Bible, and still proceed and press forward. Can't do that. You understand what I'm saying about the rights? In the Civil War, both, both parties, and I realize I'm standing in the South, in both parties, they prayed to the same God because they both felt their causes were just. They both appealed to God to help them to win the battle. And in the midst of both sides, here's what Brother Bram says. In this situation, God is neither on either side. He's calling from both sides. Come out of them. Come out of your spot. Come out of your rut. Come out of your stubbornness. Come out of this place that Satan's got you backed into. Come out. Step out in faith in God. <clears throat> hey, buddy, wake up, look up, see how big I am? I can take care of this. I can deal with this. <clears throat> we believe we serve a good God. A God who cares. We believe that God loves his people. We believe that God cares about your spiritual growth. We believe that following the right path and being in the will of God draws opposition. When you're doing the right thing, you will have opposition. It's kind of one of the signs that you are following the right thing. You are doing the right thing. And you can be in the right church. You can believe, be believing the right message. Believing you're in the will of God. And you know what? Satan will oppose you. Even when it doesn't make sense, he'll oppose you. It happened to Jesus. It'll happen to you. Pilate answered, will, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for 
breaking the law. No. 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 Jesus was not delivered because he broke the law. Jesus was delivered because of envy. Jesus was put in the prison because of envy, not because he broke the law, not because he did anything wrong. There was nobody could come and identify one thing that Jesus did that was wrong. Except in their opinion or except in relation to their denomination or except in terms of what they felt. They felt like, oh, we have a, we have a right to do this and we, and who is Jesus to think that he's got all the power and all the access to God? And who is he to say, that, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Who is he to make these claims right here? And all of a sudden, people, hey, the, the, the blind eyes are coming open and the ears are coming open. And, uh, you know, people are healed. And everybody in, in the meeting is being healed. And then Lazarus is brought forth from the dead. And the widow of Nain's son is brought forth from the dead and so forth. And they're looking at all the supernatural. And, hey, Jesus is getting it done. You know why? Because he is who he is and he knows it. He's getting it done. And here he is, doing the will of God, doing the right thing, having the results, and it sparks something in people. It sparks something. And they're filled with envy. And by the way, in the Bible, envy is the word for jealousy. I'm not done. But I think it's important for us to think a little bit about solutions and what do we do in a situation like this. Because one of the great things about pain is that it will teach you things. And there are two kinds of pain. The pain that hurts you and the pain that changes you. God will allow you to experience pain to change you. He doesn't want you to experience pain. God is not the author of senseless pain and senseless suffering. Brother Bram tells us that in the Church Age book. He's not interested in watching people suffer. He doesn't glee people who suffer, or people who suffer loss, or whatever else. God does not delight in people home today because they're sick, and, uh, you know, like Brother Keith and, and different ones, you know, who are not well. God doesn't delight in that. He, 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 ordered, he allowed us to be able to build a church so people could come to it. But we all go through levels of pain. We all go through diff- difficult things in life. And what a shame it is to experience pain and not learn from it. Because then all you have is the hurt part. And if you don't lear- we don't learn from our experiences, you know what? God will allow it to repeat. Because he's a good teacher. And this is what adoption is about. That we don't always have it right. We don't always see things go smooth. Things don't always happen according to our expectations or our, uh, our perception. But the pain that causes us to change. The pain that simply says... Search me, O God. I know my heart today. The pain that says, Lord, is is something happening to me because you want me to get something? Because you want me to learn something? When Brother Branham was translated beyond the curtain of time and he got over there, he told us what was there, but he also told us what was not there. And he says, this is what you preach. The voice said, this is what you preach was the Holy Ghost, perfect love. And nothing can enter in here without it. I'm more determined than ever, he said, in my life, that it takes perfect love to enter there. there was, this first thing he says, there was no jealousy there. There was no tiredness there. There was no death there. Sickness could never 
enter in there. Mortality could never make you old and could not cry. Mortality could never make you old and they could not cry. It's just one big joy. Wow. (laughs) He says, I'm more determined. I'm ready to press to get there. My last screen to you is this. Rather than try to fix the blame, I think we should say, Lord, fix your eyes on me. And say, search me, O God. Because we don't need, we don't need sharp-tongued, disrespectful young people who fight for their right because they think it's their right. I would rather, I would rather teach our young people to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How do you want me to respond? Lord, if I'm wrong, show me. And Lord, give me the grace to walk in the right way now. If I need to make it right, Lord, give me the courage to go make it right. If I, if I need to forgive, hey, remember, remember the forgiveness thing? Who are the most forgiven people you know? Who then should be the most forgiving people we know? Who are the most loved people you know? Who should be the most loving people we know? Is it always easy to turn the other cheek? No. Is it always easy to give your cloak to? Is it always easy to walk the other mile? No. I'm not saying it is, but neither did Jesus. I'm just saying to you what the book says. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. And David came to the place where he says, Lord, know my heart. And if there's jealousy there, or if there's envy there, if there's something there that maybe has has grieved the Holy Spirit away, maybe I've never acted on what I know is right. Maybe I maybe I seem to back off. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. There's a whole bunch of things I don't know. And I'm not worried about what I don't know. Because you know what? This week God woke me up and said, Hey, look, see how big I am? What are you worried about this for? What are you worried about that for? Do you have any idea how big I am? Do you have any idea how many resources I have at my disposal? Do you have any idea how powerful I am? And sometimes God needs to do that. He just needs to rouse us and say, Look up. Goliath was a big guy. Look beyond that. Sister Becky, would you slip up to the piano here for a moment? I think, and the other musicians want to do that gently, come on up too. I think there are times when the very best thing that we can do is just pray this way, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see, is what David says, and see if there be in me any wicked way, anything that's out of the way. And Lord, I'm going to put my hand up and ask you to lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me the way I should go. If I understand it right, he knows the door to his own house. He knows exactly where it is. And if I'm going to get there, I I mean, I've studied the Bible for a lot of years. And I've preached the gospel a lot of years and talked to a lot of good ministers over the years. But I don't know where that door is, but I know one who does. 
I know Jesus knows the way to his own house. And he said, I'm going to prepare that place for you. And he says, if it's so, he says, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also, according to John 14. So I have a promise that he's personally going to lead me to that place. When I die, I won't be just left floating in uh, the stratosphere somewhere, but I will be uh, led uh, directly into his kingdom because that's his promise to me. But I know this, that if my heart is full of stubbornness and jealousy and envy and bitterness and hatred and all the other things, emulations and strife and all the other things that God said he didn't really like. And I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying this because this is what the Lord laid on my heart, but I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to say, just for you to say, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Because what a tragedy to feel like you're in a struggle believing that God was fighting for both sides, <laughs> and he wasn't. He wasn't. I'm just saying. Sometimes it's good for us just to sit down and think about what really would be pleasing to God because I may have a right. But you know what? I think what's most important is what he would deem to be right. Lord, let let me line up with that. Let me line up with that. Let me make sure that whatever position I take, it's right with you first. First. I give myself away. Let me make sure that the stand I take is something that you would be pleased with. And if the stand I take is two degrees left, let me have the guts to shift. I may not need to shift much, but let me shift. Because I'm really not interested in keeping something you're not pleased with. I'm interested in giving that away. I, I really just want to, to be right according to your, your concept of right. Whether it's between a husband and wife, whether it's between church members, whether it's between uh, you know, co-workers or whatever else. This By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have arguments? No. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, because ye have a love, a love that passes understanding. The altar is open. Anybody would like to come and pray? Anybody want to say, just in their own heart, you don't you say where you are, you're welcome to come, be glad to pray. Just give you time to pray. I'd be glad to pray with anybody. But what we should be praying is say, Lord, search my heart. And if there's any, any wicked way in me, Lord, bring it to my attention. I'll do what I can. Bring it to my attention, Lord, because I don't want to be walking the wrong way. He loves you and he cares for you. He does. Give myself away. Yes, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away.
give myself away so you can use me here I here I stand Lord my life is in your hands Lord I'm longing to see Let's sing it now. Give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself
Heart, just say, Lord, change my heart, make it search my heart, 
Lord, deal with my heart. Change my heart, May I be like Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. For you are the potter. I am the clay. me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make could we close our eyes for a minute and just bow your heads as musicians just play and I just want to ask you to do this that I'm going to pray for you pray with you and if you, your desire is <clears throat> Lord change someone else's heart then I'm going to have to preach this again But if you're saying, Lord, change my heart, and I want you just to raise your hand when we pray and just say, Lord, I'm inviting you to come and look in my heart and change what needs to be changed. Show me what needs to be shown. Heavenly Father, as we humbly come before you, we bow in your presence and Lord I sense your presence among us in a great way and I I know Lord that real substantive change comes not from what I say but from your presence that's how we change that's how we grow that's how we're transformed because in your presence we can't stay like we were but Lord we know that the problem isn't with you The problem sometimes, Lord, rests in our hearts and in our attitudes. And I I just pray that, oh God, you would begin the process of just softening hearts and, and, Lord, allowing us to enter into your courts with praise and joy and be able to relish the remaining opportunities we have to gather in this place. We are a people who love the word. We've paid a price. We have fought long to be in the place we are today and stood for things, Lord, even against the grain and the tide. But Lord, I I just, I'm asking now that you would just not deal with us according to your justice, but Lord, you would deal with us according to your mercies. That you would help us all to be reminded that we are what we are, where we are by the grace of God and not by our own smarts and our own planning. We are what we are by your grace. And Lord, when we make it across the great divide, it'll be because of your grace. May we never forget that, Lord. May you just deal with us according to your mercies. Help us to see 
others, like the Apostle Paul talked about, where we can bear one another's burdens, or at least wish one another well. Father, I just ask that you would do that work that only you can do. I can say lots of things, but there's some things that only you can do. And now in the name of Jesus, I curse every spirit that would bind your people. I curse everything, every power of darkness that would move among your people, Lord, and how things would creep in. We know it's absolutely from the pits of hell, and we stand against it now together. In the name of Jesus Christ, pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be free to move among us. We bless your name. We bless your word. We bless your presence, Lord. We, we thank you because you are gracious enough to meet with us, Lord, through everything we go through. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the principles found in it that make things so clear. Have your way now, I pray. And forgive me, Lord. Maybe if, maybe I've said something. Maybe I've done something. Maybe I've leaned the way I shouldn't have leaned. But Lord, whatever it is in my life that might be out of the way, show me, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. I recommit myself to you. I rededicate myself to you, Lord, for service. I'm here, Lord, I believe, because you placed me, because you called me to be here, and that's why I'm here. Lord Jesus, let me be faithful to that call. Let me be faithful and honest. Let me do what's right, not according to my rights, but let me do what's right, that you can smile upon it and bless it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.
keep playing that if you don't mind. As we wait and as we pray. Let's do it this way. Let's all come to the altar. Come on. Let's pray. If you can do it. If you can't do it, it's fine. hurt to have a lot of people praying, I'll tell you that. As we moment we pray in the name of Jesus that Lord you would move in our midst as we wait as we pray as we invite your presence to come near now Lord not just to give us new information but Lord that you would just be so personal and so intimate that you could search our hearts and you could see Lord the hurts see the frustrations we have and see, Lord, maybe the confusion we have and see, Lord, what needs to be moved around and see what needs to be made right. In the name of Jesus Christ, we curse every demon that would bind your people and hold them back. I curse everything that would hold your people away from your presence, Lord. 
We are not alone. We have been aroused to look up and see how big you are. We are basing our confession upon your word and the things you have described about yourself. And you ask the question to Israel, who are you to be afraid? Who are you to be afraid of mortal men or anyone else? You are the God who created the heavens and the earth and you are the God who set the stars in place and you're the God that holds everything under your power. We should look up and see how big you are. We should look up and see how great you are and how how capable you are of dealing everything we bring to you. Lord, we present our difficulties to you. We present our trials to you. We present our feelings to you, Lord, everything we give to you now. And we say, Lord Jesus, look upon our hearts and help us right where we are. May our year, which has already been troubled in the beginning, Lord, may our year be one of perseverance. May our year be one of dedication to the cause. May our, may our year, Lord, be characterized by a determination among our people that nothing Nothing is going to interfere with the flow of the Holy Spirit among us. May we dedicate ourselves, Lord, to truth and to honesty. May we dedicate ourselves, Lord, to the right things. That in your name and for your glory, we would live in such a way that all men could see that we are your disciples. And they will see that, Lord, by the love we show and the care and compassion and concern we express to one another. If we have failed you, forgive us. If we have failed one another, forgive us. If we have neglected this fundamental duty, forgive us, Lord, and help us to do better. Help us, Lord Jesus, to treat one another in a way that's pleasing to you. All my rights I lay down. All my rights are at the foot of the cross. We come to you, Lord, in in hope. We come to you in faith. We come to you, Lord Jesus, with expectation. And thank you that you deal with us through mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I lift my hands, bow my knees, worship at your throne. I need you. I need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. Lift our hands, 
knees Worship at your throne We need you, Lord We need you, Lord Right now Sing this as you go back to your seats Jesus, draw me close Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you. Let this world around me fade away. If you want to stay and worship and sing, you're welcome to do that. If you want to stay and pray, you're welcome to do that. If your desire is to worship and obey, see you on Wednesday night. See you on Thursday night if you're able to come and pray. <clears throat> Remember this, God loves you. He loves you more than what you would ever imagine. He cares for you. He always wants the best for us. Kingston, good to have you with us today. God bless you. Come again. All of you, it's great to see you. Great to have you in the house of the Lord. And no better place you could be. May God go with you and bless your day. Bless your conversations. And let's sing as we go today. Amazing, amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise, for it was grace that bought my
That's why he came to love me so. Beyond my faults, he saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me My fallen soul, he looked beyond my fault, and he saw my knees in chorus again. I shall forever lift my Amazing grace. 